may be seated. I want to encourage you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 and be finding verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And while you're turning there, I just want to give you a real quick update uh, from one of uh, the church plants that we are partnering with. Uh, last year, Jim and Brandy Tabor came and spent a weekend with us. And uh, Justin and Ashley had went out there, Tracy and I had been out there uh, through our partnership with Emmanuel Baptist Church in Billings, Montana, and they were going to plant a new church up in the Heights region. And uh, one of the neat things is being able to follow up uh, with folks, whether they be over across the seas or whether they are in our country somewhere and they're doing the Lord's work, hearing those testimonies and hearing about either life's being changed or the opportunities to share the gospel or just even sharing with a lost person and just seeing their faith receptivity grow uh, with each conversation. And those are all really neat things. But on the screen here, uh, I think we're going to have a few pictures. This is an update. I got to talk to Jim uh, about a month ago, and then he said he was going to be sending this update. And so this is them meeting uh, in the local elementary school. And you can see how the Lord has multiplied uh, their number uh, they reached a high attendance uh, of 200 uh, for one Sunday that was just a regular Sunday. And so last year when we received our Great Commission offering, uh, part of that offering, uh, I think around $8,400 or so, uh, was designated, whatever percent that was, it was designated to uh, Grace Point. And so your giving has made some of this, uh, these things happen. And then here you see them celebrating uh, baptism. They had an outdoor baptism service before they started getting snow. Can you believe they're already getting snow out there? 19 degrees last Monday morning. Aren't you glad you live in Kentucky? If you are, say amen. And so you can see them gathered there on their outdoor baptism and then baptizing a young lady. Jim also got to baptize uh, his youngest son uh, during that particular service as well. And so I took time just to share that to say thank you all for giving and as you're preparing for your Lottie Moon Great Commission offering this year, we've not even started talking about it, and we've not even started promoting it. Uh, no goal has been set yet. I want you to know your dollars uh, that you give, uh, really they're the Lord's dollars, but the dollars that he puts into your hands and then you steward back to him, those dollars go uh, to have a vast impact and reach overseas, uh, across the country, and we're really grateful for your obedience and giving, and we want to encourage you uh, to continue to do that. And then, uh, let me just say this. I was saying to Misty earlier today, I said, Misty, tell me about Ethan Driver. How is Ethan doing? Uh, have you get to, do you get to hear from him? Because Ethan Driver is in basic training, so uh, he is one year younger, I think, than Levi, and uh, he is serving in the military. He's going through basic training, and she said, can I tell you good news? He's got to share the gospel seven or eight times. Last week, Ethan was just sharing the gospel with a guy. And, uh, you know, when you go to the Army, man, faith receptivity becomes a big issue, right? Because you're thinking about where's the Lord going to send me? What's going to go on? What, what is my life? And you're trying to figure out the meaning of life and how you're going to best serve the country. And so there's just all sorts of opportunities to share the gospel. And one of your very own, Ethan Driver, is faithfully doing that. As he shared the gospel this last time, the fellow that he was sharing the gospel with prayed to receive Christ. Will you give the Lord a hand for that? The Lord saving that young man. And I, I want to 
uh, encourage you all, keep doing that. I know some of you all are sharing here in our community. Uh, you share not only with folks who move into our community, but you share with people that are just lost. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I don't have people from other churches saying to me, hey, your people are inviting me to, to leave my church and to come to Calvary, that you guys uh, look to uh, invite people who are uh, new to the community and people who don't have a church home. And that's really the way the New Testament is meant to work. And so God bless you for being faithful and uh, thank you for sharing the gospel in the way that you do. And an identity to embody. Last week we started a new series for October and November and it's entitled Sojourners. I'm not going to preach from the Connect Guide today, but Brian did a wonderful job getting us a graphic and uh, pointing us to, in a, in a graphic form, the whole idea of what sojourning is about and this subject of being sojourners that we find in First and Second Peter. And if you look at that tech, uh, tech guide, you see appears to be a brother and sister or a young, young couple, and they have uh, suitcases in their hands. They're on a long road. When you blew up this picture, it's a, a real long road. You can see he's got the Word of God in his hand, right? He's got the Bible in his hand there. And that's really a graphic reminder of who you and I are supposed to be. And so last week we preached and we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We started there um, because we're going to work our way in eight weeks, eventually through First and Second Peter, all of it. But we really want to give you a system and a framework to be thinking about being, on, uh, being a witness and uh, being uh, willing to follow the Lord wherever that he leads. And so last week we saw those words and those, uh, Peter, trying to help us understand our identity to embody, which was sojourners, right? We are sojourners, we're pilgrims, we're exiles. We are in some way immigrants. We were not made for this world, we are made for a better world, we're, we're made for eternity, and we're built for eternity, and so we looked at that last week, and we began to understand that as we think about uh, how Peter is used of the Lord, as he's writing a bunch of Christian Jews who are dispersed, and they're dispersed because of persecution. And we're going to see that. We'll, we'll read the first couple of verses of 1 Peter today uh, as a proof text here when we get started. But th this idea of the Lord wanting to do such a work in our lives to help us understand through his word that as God's people, he has an identity for us to embody. Last week, sojourners, exiles, this idea of pilgrims, this idea of a, a temporary resident, Right? We're, we're here, but we're just here for a short time. So we, we just don't live for here. We live for him. And as we live for him, we have all eternity promised to us. And so this identity to embody, which we'll follow up more on today. And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to look about how God's called us to be holy. This lifestyle of, of righteousness, this lifestyle of appropriating the holiness of Christ and allowing him to not only cover our sins but to mark us as people who are different, so this lifestyle to embrace. And then we're going to see this message of hope. As you look through First Peter and Second Peter, this reoccurring theme of the gospel, this message, this message of hope 
this message for not only eternity, but a message for people who are called to be sojourners, a message for people who are going through trial, a message for people who are going through persecution. This idea of a message to proclaim, we're going to see that unfold. And then lastly, all throughout First Peter and Second Peter, we see this wonderful hope uh, that God gives us to endure, to endure all things, and to endure all things at all times. Church family, look at me here. Make sure you're trying to see me in the eyes even though I got a little glare off these glasses and and can't see all of y'all in your eyes I I really want you to hear this if God has saved you and you receive that gospel message and you have put your hand to the gospel plow in the life of Christianity do not take your hand off that plow do not stop plowing the ground that God has called you to plow the fields of soil that God's called you to work You continue to be who God wants you to be, full of Jesus, sharing the gospel, making disciples of all people and all nations, uh, men and women everywhere. You remain faithful. How are we going to do that? As we clearly understand our identity, who God has made us. Not only sojourners and exiles, but read along with me verses 9 and 10. So 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's unfolding this wonderful truth that we have this stone that the builders rejected, meaning that the Old Testament Israelites rejected Christ, right? They, what they knew to be true of Christ as Messiah, they were going to reject him. But for everybody who received him, he was not this stumbling stone, but he was this cornerstone. He is this one that they can build their life upon. They, he is this one that they can build not only their life upon, but give their life to and trust their life to. And it talks about how he is building up God's people who have been saved by grace in Christ. He's talking about how he is building them up into a spiritual house. And that's what he's doing in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 2. And then he gets to verse 9. And he says this, in contrast to verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, that's to those who were not receiving Christ, they stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But now watch what he says. But you're not like that. But you, this is an emphatic you in verse 9. But you, you are different. He says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter's instructing his readers who are living in a non-Christian society, a mainly Gentile society, on how to live as a new community of believers who have a different lifestyle than the people who surround them. How are they going to endure persecution? How are they going to endure trial? How are they going to remain faithful when the world around them is chaotic? And maybe that is your question this morning today. Maybe you're hearing, you're thinking about, is God going to keep me? Am I going to remain faithful? Am I going to be a casualty of this chaotic world in which we live? Or am I going to continue to serve the Lord 
faithfully and grow in him and be a witness to the world while I'm in the world, but not of the world. So Peter, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, wants to remind his readers, he wants to remind you and I today of our true identity in Christ, all because of God's grace and mercy that was found in Jesus alone. Therefore, believers and followers, first of all, I want you to write this down. Today, you need to leave this place understanding you are an elect people. An elect people. Yes, I have used that word and I'm saying that word. You are elect. That means that we have been chosen by God. In verse 9, he says to them, But you are not like those who have rejected Christ, but you have been chosen. And he says, God has made you a chosen race. I want to let you all in on a family secret this morning. If you are here, right, that, that phrase, family secret, that's the way Spurgeon would refer to the doctrine of election. He would say, that's a family secret. Once you've come into the faith, you begin to realize how God has worked in you and how God has lavished his love upon you and how he has saved you by his grace. Are you, you ready for this secret? If you have been born again, saved by the grace of God in Christ, you have been a chosen child of God. God has chosen you and he elected you. See, the question this morning is not why did God choose Abel and not Cain? Why did God choose Isaac and not Ishmael? Why did God choose Jacob, right, and not Esau? And, and, and there's a whole foundation that can be laid there, right? Why did he choose Jacob? But the scripture says he hated Esau. Why? That's not the question this morning. Sometimes... I'll think to myself, God, why, why don't you allow me to move to Kentucky, hear the gospel, and, and to be born again, but my brother's yet still living in darkness, although if y'all keep praying, his, his faith receptivity is getting nearer and nearer, right? One of you said to me uh, last week on the phone, I was talking about how my brother, who's lost without Christ, just had their first grandbaby. And uh, my nephew named him the family name. So my dad's name was Willis. My brother's name is Willis Berry. My grandfather's name was Claude Willis. And they named this boy, my nephew, Jack Willis. Jack Willis. In the city of Chicago, they're going to name this boy Jack Willis Shaw. I said, y'all need to move down here, man. Jack Willis. I said, we just call him J.W. for short, right? And uh, Barry was sharing with me all that news and pictures and all of that. And he was saying, Rand, I just thank you for praying for us. Thank you for praying for Bob and Katie. Thank you for praying for Jack. I'm going to be doing the same, he said, for Caleb and Ruth. That is the first time I've ever heard my brother say, I'm going to be praying for something. So I see his faith receptivity go, growing. And not long after I had that conversation, I'm talking to Tom Tank, and I'm saying to Tom, hey, my brother's just had a, a grandchild, his first grandchild. He's so excited. He's getting closer to the Lord. And Tom said, Pastor, I pray for Barry every day when I pray for my dad. When I pray for my dad. Tom's dad's lost. He doesn't know Christ. And so I want to encourage you, keep 
praying for people that don't know Jesus. You say, why is that? Because you do not know who the Holy Spirit is working on. You don't know who the gospel is going to get to. And their heart is going to be opened up to receive Christ. So I want to encourage you to think about election in this way. It's not why did God choose me and not Barry? Or why did God choose uh, Jacob and not Esau or Isaac or not Ishmael? The question here uh, before us today is not an Armenian question or a Calvinistic question. The question before us is today is why did God choose to save any of us? Because the scripture says in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How much is all? It's every one of us, right, in this room. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So God would have been completely just and completely righteous if he would have saved one sinner down through the annals of history. But glory to God and praise be to Jesus because God has not saved one, but he has saved multitudes of sinners down through the course of time. You say, why does he do that? I don't know. Preacher, I don't believe in election. You should. It's in the Bible. Preacher, that means if you believe in election, you don't believe in whosoever will. When I get to John 3, 16, you will hear me preach whosoever will come. Let's be Bible people. Would somebody say amen to that? So, so what are we saying? We're saying this. Look at, look at verses 1 and 2 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Just flip back a page. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles, you see that phrase again, elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you which is really a blessing, right? He appointed us. That's a privilege. He appointed us. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So we have John recording the words of Jesus. We have Peter speaking about how God has chosen us. If that's not enough, I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul and just listen to how he puts it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. What did he do? He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. My brothers and sisters, God is this active agent in pursuing us and seeking us and coming to us when we not only would not come to him, but we could not come to him. God did not choose me today. He did not choose you. He did not choose you over someone else because we deserved it or because we earned it 
or because there was something admirable in us? You say, creature, I, I don't know about it. I've always thought that God saved me because he saw something in me. What he saw in you was death. What he saw in you was sin. But what he sees in Christ and what he has offered to us in Christ is grace and mercy and righteousness and atonement. And he is able to cover our sin. You say, you're going to have to proof text me on that one, big guy. Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. For consider your calling, Paul again. Brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble. You weren't of noble birth. Verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and, sanctif uh, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Why would I say to you, you are a chosen race, and why would I camp there for point one? Because, listen to me and listen well, God is this loving, gracious, merciful, seeking Savior. And He comes to us and He draws our attention to Him and He allows us by His grace to hear the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. Preacher, how do I know that God is choosing me? How do I know that God is calling me? How do I know that God will save me? You're here. You're within the sound of the gospel, right? You're hearing about the mercy and the love and the grace of Christ right now. And it is God's word that is the very guarantee that if you are hearing it, you are a perfect candidate to turn from your sins and to call upon Christ and ask him to be your personal Lord and Savior, which is your responsibility when you hear the word of God. If you understand it, say amen. Preacher, you're just one of the middle of the road guys. You won't land anywhere. Well, if we were having just a theological conversation and you pressed me in a corner and said, what are you? I would tell you exactly what I am if you were going to push me into a system. But I think that is such an immature question. It's such an immature conversation. And you say, why is that? Because God's called me something in Scripture. And he didn't call me an Arminian. He didn't call me a Calvinist. He called me a Christian. He called us first Christians at Antioch. Why is that? So that we would trust him and that when people are saved, the boasting would not be of my sin or of my repentance or of my life or what I laid down or what it cost me, but our boasting would be in the one who died on the cross for our sins. If you understand it, say amen. So, first of all, we are an elect people. We have been chosen by God. Can you tell I'm sort of passionate about that today? Now look at the second thing. Not only is our identity that we have been chosen, we're this chosen race, this people that God has elected and set 
set aside, but we are an acceptable people. The word is acceptable. We are an acceptable people. We have been made a royal priesthood. He says, but you are a royal priesthood. This concept of royal priesthood originates uh, really from Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, when Moses is speaking the message of the Lord uh, to the people of Israel, and Jehovah speaks through Moses, and he says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my, listen to this, you'll be my own possession. That, that phrase is, you'll be this peculiar treasure among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, declares Jehovah, and you shall be to me a kingdom, watch this, of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Do you realize today that we are not only an elect people that have been chosen by God, but an an acceptable people because we have been made a royal priesthood? That phrase, royal, in the Greek is used here, and it refers to that which belongs to, it's appointed to. Listen to this phrase. It is acceptable or suitable for a king. The idea is that when God saved you, he made you fit for his kingdom and fit for the king. He made you acceptable to the Godhead through the work of Jesus Christ. It describes a person of of a kingly ancestry or that which is relating to or befitting a king or a queen or an other monarch. You may have come in here today and you may have felt like trash. You may have come in here today and you may feel like, I don't have any royalty in me. You may be here today and you're just struggling and battling who you are and who your identity is and what's going to happen in your life and what does the future hold and all of those different things. But I want to say to you, if you have been born again, you are a royal priesthood. You have been fit and made for God. And you are acceptable to God because of what Christ has done. Why should I come, preacher, to Christ? Because he has made you fit for the king. Hallelujah. I don't need Oprah's approval. Right? I don't need the world to put their hand on me to say, you're okay. Right? We we don't have to say to each other, I'm okay, you're okay. When our identity is in Christ, here is what we are. We have been made acceptable unto the Lord because of who Christ is. This royalty. And he says you're not only royal, you're this priesthood. The word here means that we are to officiate as priests. That's what the word of Jehovah was to Moses, to the people of Israel. That I'm going to choose you and I'm going to lead you out and you're going to be a nation of priests. What does that mean? You're going to represent me to all of these other pagan nations. You're going to to represent me to them. The idea is here that he's describing this priesthood as not only a body of priests but a spiritual house that he is building up. Look at verse 5 with me of chapter 2. I'm going to go to verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, who Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, 
you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a far greater privilege than belonging to any other kind of royal line. We don't need the monarchy of England to help us understand any kind of worth. We don't need to see any royal weddings on TV to understand that there's something different about the people of God. Why is that? Because God has set us aside and we are a priesthood that represents this king of kings. The Bible describes him as the ruler that's above every other king. We talked about that back in September. And so what we do is we go out and we represent our king as priests. And we witness to people who are not in that family ancestry by modeling who Christ is to them. So he says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. But look with me at verse 9. He says, you are a holy nation. That means we are also a separated people. We have been made a holy nation or people. This word nation, ethnos, really in general refers to a multitude, especially persons associated with one another, living together, united in cultural traditions or kinship. It's really summed up by the word nation. When you talk about ethnos, normally it engrafts Gentiles into that people. And so uh, with all these missionaries in the house today, I hope I'm preaching that uh, correctly, correctly, but that whole idea of ethnos is peoples, plural, everywhere. And so when I say we should be praying for the peoples of the world or God has called us to reach peoples, and you say to me, no, you shouldn't be using peoples there. No, it's peoples everywhere. It's people groups, right? So God doesn't look at the world the way we do with geopolitical lines drawn all over a map. He sees distinct people everywhere. And he tells us, I have set you apart. I've separated you. I've made you a holy nation that you would go and reach them. He not only says that we are to reach this, I've made you this holy nation, these peoples that are going to be reaching people, but he says, I've separated you, I've made you holy. It really means that we are set apart for a specific purpose. We are in the process of being sanctified by the very holiness of Christ that dwells in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So as we are learning to grow in Christ by dying to self and being alive unto him, we are becoming more and more sanctified, more and more set apart, more and more holy for God to use. I love what Piper says about this distinct holiness. He says, you have been chosen and you have been pitied and you have been possessed by God. And therefore, you're not merely part of the world anymore. You are set apart for God. You exist for God. Are you hearing me, the people of Calvary? You exist for God. You're not here just punching a time clock today. You're not here to get the conviction off of you for another week. You have not only been chosen, you're not only this royal priesthood, but God is setting you aside for his glory. He's making you this holy individual before him. 
You exist for God, and since God is holy, you are holy. You share his character because he chose you. He pitied you. He possessed you. Piper says you are holy. If you do not act in a holy way, you act out of character. You contradict the very essence of who you are as a Christian, for your identity is holiness in and to the Lord because God has made us a holy people. Why is it, preacher, that when I'm saved and I sin, I still feel bad and I feel convicted like I did before I came to know Christ? It is because God not, does not merely want to get you to heaven with him for all eternity. He wants to make you like him. Are y'all tracking with me today? He has no problem giving us a ticket to heaven. What he's wanting is not a resident. What he's wanting is your heart. And he's wanting you to bear his image in which he's made you to bear. If you're tracking with me, say amen. So he has made us this holy nation. So what does that mean to us right here in Barron County, Kentucky? Today, it means here, when we leave and we go to the restaurants or we go wherever, we go to eat lunch and dinner today, and when we go into the marketplace this week, we are to go as a people who have been set apart. We are marked by God. We don't do the same thing that the world does day in and day out. We don't just give ourselves to sin. We don't just live in disobedience to God. What are we doing? We're consciously aware that Christ is abiding in us through the Holy Spirit. And he's given us his word. Preacher, I just want to know God's plan. I just want God to speak. He has spoken. Right? Quit looking for a writing on a wall and a picture spinning. Give yourself to the word of God and let his word transform you and change you. And then go out and be the set apart holy ones that God has called us to be. So we're this set apart people. These holy people because he's making us this holy nation. And then lastly, this morning. We're not only a separated people, we're this elect people, right? We are these people who've been accepted by God because of Christ. But he goes on in verse 10, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. This is one more identity marker that he's wanting us to understand who we are in Christ. And he's saying you are a purchased people. We have been made God's people. The word for people here is laos. It's a term used for Israel in the Old Testament to describe, watch this, its personal intimate relationship with God. This term is now used of the Christian community. What is being emphasized here is that the Christians now have a relationship with the Lord which is different from that of non-Christians. We have been made God's people and now we are completely dedicated to him. Vance Havner was a preacher, uh, a southern preacher that was used mightily of the Lord several years ago. He spoke with great conviction, but he spoke with great humor. And he's very, he's very quotable, right? If you're a preacher in the South, almost every preacher in the South quotes Vance Havner sometime or another throughout the year. And listen to what Vance Havner said. He said, God's people are his people. They're his possession. He said, and another way to say that is, they are a peculiar people, which means 
They've been purchased by God. Havner says the word here carries the idea of making a ring around something to mark it as one's own. Christ has made a ring around us and claimed us for himself. And he says we hear these days about cheap grace and how it doesn't mean much to be a Christian. Havner goes on and he says, but salvation is the cost of this item on earth because it costs the Lord everything to provide it and it costs us everything to possess it, meaning that we turn from our life and we embrace the life of Christ. What are you saying today, Pastor? As God's people, God has marked you and he's drawn a circle around you. And what he is wanting everyone to see about you is that you belong to him. And you look differently. I'm thankful for Caleb and Ruthie being here and the way that you guys have blessed him. He's hearing this for the first time. I was sitting yesterday with a couple of people at the shower and uh, they were opening their presents and Caleb had to get up to go do something. He came and sat down and one of our senior adult ladies turned and looked at me and she said, he is little Randy Jr. made over. <laughs> Which I responded, Caleb, Poor Caleb, bless his heart. So Levi and Jacob, you need to thank God you look like your mama and not like your daddy, right? Caleb bears the curse. In some form or fashion, I think all the boys look like Tracy. In some form or fashion, they either look like me or they act like me. But I find that a real term of endearment. Because it's an identifying mark that says they don't belong to no one else, right? They belong to the Lord and undeniably to Randy and Tracy. God has circled you. He's bought you. He's marked you. He's drawn this ring around you. And he says, you are my people. You're my possession. And so Habner goes on with this idea about cheap grace, and he says this. If we are bought and we're purchased and we belong to God and we are these peculiar people, he says, let us not live like the swine and the hogs that live in the dirt, but let's live like we are God's people. He says it this way, we are a generation of cheap Christians going to heaven as inexpensively as possible. He says, we oftentimes act like religious hobos and spiritual deadbeats living on milk instead of meat, crusts of bread instead of manna, as though we were on a cut-rate excursion. And Habner says that to make us understand that's not who God's made you to be. But that's exactly who the enemy wants you to think you are. He wants you to think your life is of little value, of little consequence to the king and his kingdom. He wants you to think that just go on and do anything that you do. Nobody will miss you. Nobody will care. Oh, my brothers and sisters, you are marked by God if you have been born again. And you are a possession of his, a peculiar people. Fall down on your faces and worship him as such. 
Because those who are inside that circle, those who are inside his hand, he will never let go. What a Savior. Father, in the name of Jesus, draw us to yourself today. God, thank you for making us a, a possession, your people. God, thank you for separating us to yourself and to the process of sanctification. God, thank you today. Thank you, Lord, for making us a royal priesthood. And God, thank you for electing us and choosing us to lavish your love upon. And God, I'm thankful that everyone in this place is hearing this gospel that because of what Christ has done on the cross and by him being resurrected and alive today, by him being this king, this advocate, this one who has bore our sin in full, that if we will turn to him and we will cast all of our cares to him, repenting of our sin and trusting, believing what you say we are when we come to Christ, that our sins may be forgiven, that we may be adopted as sons and daughters, that we may come to know you. And God, that we would go forth proclaiming the majesty of him who has possessed us. That we would go and share near and far. Jesus, he has made me glad because he has brought value to a life that was dead buried in trespasses and sins but the rescuer came and redeemed us God may we proclaim that message far and wide God, may we proclaim how excellent Jesus is. And then, God, I pray that we would just be people who receive your mercy. God, we confess with Peter we were people who at one time had not received mercy. But, God, now we have richly received because of the work of Christ, we have richly received his mercy. That instead of receiving the wrath and hostility and anger and judgment of God, now we are counted as of the beloved, all because of the work of Christ. God, thank you for being faithful to us. Lord, may we worship you and sing like the redeemed of the Lord. May we bow before you. May we praise you for the truth that we're finding in First and Second Peter as you challenge us in your word. God, I pray if anyone here who's lost and they've never received Christ and they're wondering, have you chosen to lavish your love upon them? God, I pray that you would remind them of the passage in Romans 
that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And Lord, the very fact that they're hearing the gospel is the very guarantee that you are now ready to save them. And so Lord, would you redeem sinners today? Would you continue to sanctify your people? God, help us to understand who our true identity is in. Is my prayer today, in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet as we sing?